We have been talking for the last several weeks about the church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And he said that to Peter, but we learned a couple of weeks ago that he wasn't actually talking about Peter, building the church on the rock of Peter. He was talking about Peter's confession of faith. When Peter said, when Jesus said, who do you say I am? And Jesus said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And Jesus is the rock upon which the church is built. Amen. Jesus is the rock upon which the church is built and the rock upon which this church is built. Amen. So this week, we are going to be going back to some of the last words of Jesus before he died. And we're going to be in John chapter 15. And the the message is called The View from the Vineyard. So there is, this is actually not a very long chapter. It's kind of, it's only 17 verses or so. But I could do 17 messages out of this one passage. So if you're taking notes and you're like, well, why didn't she talk about this? Why didn't she talk about that? Jot down your notes and you can go home and study it yourself because there's no way that we could get through it all today. We're going to go through the whole chapter, but I'm definitely not going to be able to do justice to John chapter 15. Let me give you a little bit of background on John chapter 15. If you're looking at it in your Bible, you might notice that all of the words are written in red. What does that mean? Jesus said, and oh, by the way, I'm a teacher, so I might like default back to the classroom style, so just go with it, okay? Jesus, if it's written in red, we know that Jesus said that, right? And this whole chapter is written in red, it is not. And if you look back at the previous chapter, John chapter 14, it's also written in red. And if you look forward, John chapter 16 and 17, most of those are written in red. Jesus, this is a re- part of a really long speech that Jesus came, and it's called the Farewell Discourse. And that sounds kind of sad, because it was. This was written, Jesus is speaking, and it was the night, the Passover night, right before he died. Later on, after he says all of the things that we're going to read today, he will go and he will be arrested, and he'll be tried, and he'll be crucified that same night. So when we pick it up in John chapter 15, he, a lot of things have already happened, actually, that night. He has washed the feet of, Jesus, of uh, his disciples. That's already happened. He's already um, pointed out Judas as the betrayer, and Judas has already left to go on his treachery mission. He's told his disciples, I'm going to be going away soon. And that was kind of a downer. They were sad about that. And then G- Peter said, uh-uh, well, wherever you go, I'm going to go with you, even to death. And Jesus has already put Peter in his place and said, dude, you're not going to go to death with me. You're going to deny me three times tonight before this night is over. All of this has already happened. And you know what I love is, and I didn't actually realize this until this week when I was studying, right after Jesus reveals that Peter will deny him three times, the very next verses at the top of John chapter 14 says, do not let your heart be troubled. Isn't that so sweet? He loves us so much. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled because in 14, chapter 14, he tells them that, yes, he's going away, but he's going away because he's preparing a place for them and for us too. And he says, and guess what? While I'm away, I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm going to send somebody to help you. Guess who that is? The Holy Spirit. 
to walk with them and to lead them every day. And then at the end of chapter 14, it's kind of, they're kind of winding up supper at this time. And it says, um, I'll no longer, Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. Rise, let's go from here. So they get up and they walk out the door. So as they get up and leave, they're walking towards the garden of Gethsemane. And the Mount of Olives, where all we know all of the things happen. The passion of Christ happens, start, or begins to happen. And maybe as they're walking, they see some vineyards with the grapes that are not quite ready for harvesting. I'm not sure. But for whatever reason, Jesus, as they're talking or walking, he says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. John 15, verse 1. Now, we're going to read several verses in the chapter, but I want to make it known that this is not the first time that God has used the vine or vineyard to make a point to his people. The disciples were very familiar with this analogy. As a matter of fact, the grapevine is spoken of both literally and figuratively from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It just keeps showing up over and over and over. And in the Old Testament, the grapevine was a symbol of national peace for the Israelites. Listen to what it says in the day, about the days of Solomon, which for the disciples, that was the glory days of their, of their nation. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 25, And Judah and Israel lived in safety. From Dan to Beersheba, eat every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. And in Micah chapter 4, verse 4, God promises that on the day of the Lord, which is coming, out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. They're not going to need them anymore. Neither shall they learn, I'm sorry, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation Neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. So when Jesus is walking and he says, he sees this vineyard and he says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. The disciples immediately start making connections in their brains because this is not unfamiliar territory to them. They start making these connections that number one, there's a spiritual application to growing grapes in a vineyard. And number two, that Jesus is saying, he's claiming that the peace that they've all been waiting for as a nation is a reality right now in him. So their minds are like, their minds are blown, right? Now, most of us, we don't have the agricultural background that the people in Jesus' day had. And probably none of us have ever grown a vineyard. Anybody? California? No? Just asking. Okay. So, but thankfully, Jesus makes his metaphor really plain when, because he says, I am the vine. My father's the vine dresser. And then later in verse uh, five, he'll say, you are the branches. And I love this picture of the father. He's not just the vine owner. He doesn't just buy the vineyard and then like leave it. He's the vine dresser or another word is the vine tender because he tenderly takes care of the vine. He tenderly takes care of his people, 
caring and pruning so that the vine produces the maximum amount of fruit possible. Isn't that so good? Now, we're not going to read this right now, but in Matthew 22, it talks about the way that a, vine, a vineyard is um, built. They go and they buy the land and they clear the land and they'll build a, a wall around it, plant the vineyard, and they'll put a watchtower in it to make sure that nobody comes and sabotages the crop. Right, And then they constantly, all year long, they're, t- they're tending the, the vineyard. But let's go into our text, which is John chapter 15. We read verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Let's keep going in John chapter 15 with verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Talking about the vine dresser, who is the Father. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the words that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. Just in case they didn't get it the first time. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Now, you'll, note, you'll notice uh, Miss Christine is going to put up a uh, picture of a vine, a grapevine there. Have you noticed the things sticking up there? Those are the branches. And you notice that each one is connected to the vine individually. Did you know that? That's pretty cool, huh? So this is a picture of the church. Each individual branch is, has to be connected personally to the vine. Your branch is not connected to your daddy's branch, which is connected to the vine. You see what I'm saying? You have to be connected to the vine yourself. We must, each must abide in Christ individually. We have to personally be getting life-giving nourishment from Jesus. But we do depend on the other branches as well to make up the whole vine and to bear fruit. That's a picture of the church. Amen? Let's keep going. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So there are two themes that kept coming up, class. And what did you keep hearing every time in these verses over and over and over? Two things. He said, yes, he said, bearing fruit and abide in me. Like, I think it's like eight times in the first seven verses or so, he says, abide in me. Now, I was going to make two points out of this, and just like that was going to be my two points, but I couldn't split it up because they're inter- like they go together. They go hand in hand. They're inseparable. The branches can't bear fruit unless they're connected to the vine, and then the vine, if it doesn't bear any fruit, it's pointless, right? So you, I couldn't split it up. It has to go together. Um, my parents live in a small town in North Mississippi called Pontotoc. That's where I graduated from high school. And Pontotoc is a, um, Native American word 
like a lot of our, the names of places here in Mississippi, and it means land of the hanging grapes. We don't have any grapes in Pontotoc. We never have, as far as I know. But what they do have a lot of is wisteria. Do you know what wisteria is? Okay, so we have a picture of wisteria, and you guys tell me what it looks like. Grapes. It looks like grapes, right. And it's really pretty. In the springtime, in, you go to Pontotoc, and the wisteria is blooming everywhere. It's gorgeous. But here's the thing. Don't go to the wisteria plant looking to find something to eat because it doesn't bear any fruit. It looks like grapes, a grapevine, but it doesn't bear any fruit. As a matter of fact, if you eat any part of the wisteria plant, it's toxic. Yeah. So don't do that. There are a lot of Christians around us that may look pretty, but they're not bearing any fruit. And they're, maybe they are bearing fruit, but the fruit is toxic. I know, right? And the reason that they don't bear fruit that's edible is because they're connected to the wrong vine. It's not even the same species right? Jesus said, I am the true vine. You're the branches. Anyone who abides in me will bear fruit. And later on, he says, fruit that lasts. But apart from me, you can't do anything. So we have to stay connected. It doesn't matter how good we look. We have to stay connected to the vine in order to bear fruit that lasts. That word, when he says abide in me, it means to stay to remain in or to live in Christ. So closely connected, holding on to Jesus with everything that we have, knowing that apart from him, we're useless, right? Paul said it like this in Galatians chapter 2. This is one of our favorite verses. You can probably quote it. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ in me and me in him, constantly. John 15, verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. Um, So it's not that you're chained to Jesus, you know? Like, it's not like, okay, I'm a Christian. I guess this is my life now, you know? No, he says, abide in my love. In verse 9. And it actually kind of makes me think of our dog, Louie. Um, Louie is not a puppy anymore, sort of, but kind of, you know what I mean? And um, whenever we're home, if there's any human home at the house, it doesn't even have to be one of us. It could be a stranger. Any human home, he is following. He's right behind you, and he's following you anywhere you go, right? You, Boomer's the same way. Your dog's probably the same way, just following you. And bless his heart, I just, like, I wonder, does his neck get tired from, like, staring at my face all day? And does his little tail get tired? He's just, like, he is there, right? Listening. His little head is cocked, listening for our voice, right? There's nothing like a dog's love. I didn't even like dogs before Louie, honestly. I know. It's sad. Are you still going to be my friend? Okay. I like him now. I like him now. Because I realize there's nothing like the love of a dog. Always listening for you, eyes trained on your face, loving. That's how we should be with Jesus. With my ear cocked to his voice all the time. 
with my ear, my eyes trained on his face, looking for his approval. Live in my day, moment by moment. Lord, how do you how do you, how do you feel about this? Lord, is this okay? Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, you see, that is what it means to abide in the vine. And he says, if we do that, when we live like that, connected to him in this way, we will bear fruit. So, like, how do we do that? How do we live connected to Jesus in that way? Well, verse 7 tells us, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. We can look back at verse 3, and he said, you're already made clean because of the word that I have spoken. We abide in Christ by abiding in his word. Listen to this in John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus is, this is him talking again to another group of people. He says, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The effect of obedience and holding to Jesus' teaching is freedom from slavery to sin and separation from sin. We abide in his word and we obey his teachings. Um, Hebrews chapter 4. I know there's a lot of scripture. That's because I'm not a good preacher, so I'm just going to let the Bible preach, right? Hebrews chapter 4 says this, For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions uh-oh, of the heart. So when I fill myself with God's word, when I live in God's word, when I read God's word, when I memorize God's word, God's word is going to split right down the middle and it's going to separate the thoughts and the intentions of my heart and the desires of God's heart. It's gonna, it says the division of soul and spirit. The, my soul, which is my, my will, my mind, and my emotions from the truth of the word of God. So I might be saying, well, God, I just don't know. Or God, I don't know if this is true. And the word of God says, it doesn't matter. Who cares what you think? This is what's true, but I'm not going to know that unless I know the word, unless I abide in the word, right? When I abide in his word, and I read and I pray and I memorize it and I let it seep down into my heart, it sets me free from even my own thoughts and stupidity, right? It sets me free from sin and the desire of sin. That sounds weird that obedience would bring freedom. But there are people that I know, not me, there are people that I know that have started on a health journey, okay? Again, not me. (laughs) But it's really hard at first to give up things like sugar, caffeine, right? These things that we know are not good for us, but we love them so much. And, but these people, if they will be faithful to this health journey, right, and they eat, they fill their minds or their bodies with healthy food, and they fill their mind with education about like the kinds of foods that um, run our bodies well. Then late, once they get used to that good stuff, they don't even want the bad stuff anymore. 
and you hand them a can of Coke, and they're like, oh, this is gross, right? That's what it means that abiding in the word of God sets us free from the desire to sin. It doesn't even sound good anymore, right? Because we are so full and connected to Jesus, like my puppy, that I don't want him. I don't, it doesn't even sound good anymore. And he says that if you do that, you'll bear fruit that lasts. So let's talk about fruit for a minute. Going all the way back to verse 2, he says that if you abide in me, that, and my words abide in you, i got to find it. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yes. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes and it bear, that it may bear more fruit. Notice that the one that's not bearing fruit, he says, every branch in me. These are not unbelievers. These are Christians that, for whatever reason, are just not living up to the potential that God has for them. So if you, for whatever reason, feel like maybe you are not bearing fruit for the Lord, I want you to be encouraged because it says, takes away, but that, actually that phrase can be translated that every branch that in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. He lifts up. So be encouraged because your father, who is the vine tender, he wants to lift you up so that you can bear fruit for his glory. He's going to help you. And then he says, every, fruit, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear more fruit. That sounds horrible. Pruning. Um, and it is, yeah, because it, I mean, how do you prune something? You cut it, right? And you might be surprised, but vine dressers, they actually prune a vine almost completely back every year. One of my resources stated this, new grape growers are often surprised about how much of the vine gets removed during pruning. I don't don't like this. In an average vineyard, 80 to 90% of the new growth is pruned off each winter. This is because grapes are produced on new shoots, not old branches. Mm -hmm. Let me say that again. Grapes are produced on new shoots, not old branches. If you heard what I heard, that means that that year at youth camp is not going to cut it anymore, right? Right? That means that, like, the year that I got, I was born again and I got saved, that's not enough fruit anymore. God wants to do new fruits and new things in us. The harvest from last year, he wants to do something new. But here's the thing is that pruning doesn't usually happen during fruit-bearing season. This is interesting, uh, Ben, because we were talking about this with Pastor Dexter the other day that the, the um, pruning happens after the vines have borne fruit. There's a time of dormancy or rest, a Sabbath. Thank the Lord. He always does. And then while they're still dormant, just before the time for them to start producing again, the vine dresser prunes them to get them ready. And a vineyard during the pruning season looks much different than a vineyard during fruit-bearing season. Um, Dexter and I went to our honeymoon in Italy and we were up in, um, in Tuscany and beautiful vineyards, beautiful vineyards. This is not what they looked like. 
But this is what a vineyard looks like during pruning season. It's kind of ugly, isn't it? It's kind of ugly. You may feel like this picture. Maybe you feel dried up and useless. But allow the Lord to do some pruning in you, and you never know what he can produce. Amen? Pruning is difficult, but it's necessary. It's necessary. In the natural world, a grapevine, pruning does a few things. Number one, pruning stimulates growth. As a matter of fact, the heavier you prune a grapevine, the better the fruit. Heavy pruning may produce less fruit, but the quality is over and above superior. Light pruning has large yields of poor quality fruit. I've been in some churches like that. I've lived my life like that. There's a lot going on, but not much of it is quality. Let the Lord prune us. Secondly, pruning results in maximum yield, I love this, without the branches, without breaking the branches with too many clusters for them to bear. Isn't that good? Are you overwhelmed? Are you weary? When was the last time you let the Lord prune you? When was the last time you let the Lord prune your schedule? Uh Uh-oh. We were never meant to do it all. Your loving Father knows exactly how much fruit each one of his children can yield without breaking. But in order to know that, in order to hear him say, slow down, buddy, slow down. Or, hey, sweetheart, don't do that. You can say no, it's okay. In order to hear him say that, we have to be what? Connected. We have to be connected. Because sometimes he wants to prune our schedules. Because it results in maximum yield without it being too much for us to handle. Isn't that good? The third thing that pruning does, and this is actually my favorite. Pruning allows the vine dresser... To shape the vine. He can train it to do what he wants it to do. The vine dresser is looking at the big picture. He knows where and how the vine must grow to get the best quality fruit. So he can't let the vine do whatever it wants, right? He has to shape it. He has to train it. Even Jesus submitted himself to this. John chapter 12, verse 49 says, I have not spoken on my own authority, But the Father who sent me has himself given me a command, what to say and how to speak. And then in John 14, 10, Jesus says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. So God can see the big picture. So he prunes us to shape us to go exactly where he wants us to go. Did you know that a vine will grow on the ground unless there's something next to it that it can climb up? But if it has anything next to it, it will climb anything. You put it next to a fence, it'll climb the fence. You put it next to a wall, it'll climb the wall. That's a vine. That's what it was made to do. God says, That he is training you to remind you that you were made to climb. 
So whatever it is that you find yourself up against, you climb that thing and you let it boost you to bear fruit for God's glory. Amen? Whatever it is that you're up against, you climb that thing and you let it boost you and bring glory to God to bear fruit. Amen. Lastly, if pruning a grapevine produces more highly concentrated grapes, which in turn produces better wine. I asked Pastor Dexter if I could just bring some wine and pass it around during church. He said no. <laughs> Speaking of things that makes better quality wine, something else that you might surprise you that produces the best wine is stress. <laughs> Boo. Yeah. Grapevines, like the rest of us, they would love to have everything handled for them and everything to be easy. They would love for all the rocks to be out of the soil. They would love to have the perfect amount of water and the perfect amount of sunlight and for everything to be easy. And you would think that that's exactly what the vine dressers do is, you know, make everything perfect for the perfect growing vine. But you know what happens? This is so good, y'all. When... There's an environment uh, and everything's perfect is that the vine go into a vegetative state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Where they produce lots and lots of leaves, but not a lot of fruit. Yeah, me too. So a master vintner or vine dresser will actually introduce, listen to this, a moderate and controlled amount of stress at certain strategic points to shock the, shock the grapevine out of that vegetative state where all it's doing is it's existing and it's just growing leaves and status quo, the same thing, same thing. And it shocks that grapevine and the grapevine starts getting worried. And it says, hey, I don't need to be using all my energy making these leaves. I need to be using my energy to reproduce, hello, and bearing fruit. And bearing fruit. So I don't know if you're like me, but I do wish that God would let my life be easy. (laughs) Right? I mean, you would think, okay, I'm saved now. Nothing bad's ever going to happen again. (laughs) That's not what happens. Not at all. I wish that God would let my life be easy. But you and I both know that when life is easy, we just sit back and sit on the couch and maintain the status quo, right? I would love to come to church on Sunday and get all the nutrients and get all filled up and then go sit on the couch the rest of the week. I would love that. But God says, I want you to bear fruit. I don't want you to be frivolous. All these leaves, all this stuff is not doing anything. I want you to bear fruit. So sometimes the only way to shock us out of our maintenance of the status quo in our lives, just doing the same thing over and over and over, is to add a little stress. But remember, it's controlled. It's strategic, right? The vine dresser, he knows what he's doing. So next time your kids are getting on your nerves, instead of saying, you know, you're stressing me out, you can just look at them sweetly and you can say... Thank you so much for helping me produce quality fruit for the glory of the Lord, right? And you can do that too. You can do that back to me. Yeah. Nicely. You can just say, ma'am, at the end. Okay. So when we talk about fruit, 
we're talking about the production or the outcome of something. In this case, the vine that it came from, which is Jesus, right? So when we produce fruit, we should be producing a life that looks like Jesus. Bearing fruit means becoming more and more like him. But it also means, bearing fruit, also means it's a reference to progeny. That means babies, reproduction. So a fruitful Christian should becoming more like, be becoming more like Jesus and also be producing more Christians. And a fruitful church should be producing more Christians that look like Jesus. Amen? Amen. So what are some things that might threaten or be a danger to the branches or to the fruit? Um, pests. <laughs> And diseases, all right? So, no, we're not talking about, like, the people that get on your nerves when we talk about pests. In, um, I mean, we may be. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, in the vine-growing world, pests for grapevines, one of the big ones is beetles. Beetles will chew holes in the leaves, and one beetle will attract another beetle until your plant is eaten alive. Don't let those people in your life. Don't let those people in your life. You know who they are. They try to poke holes in the dreams that God has given you. And once you listen to one, then here comes another one and another one until your dream is dead. Or maybe they try to poke holes in your faith by introducing doubt. Well, I mean, did God really say? Or is, I mean, is the Bible, is it, I mean, true today? You know, don't, don't let those people in your life. Get rid of them. The Department of Agriculture says the way to get rid of these beetles is to flick them into hot, soapy water. But I don't recommend that to the people in your life. But you do you, whatever. (laughs) Don't let them congregate is the point, right? One will bring another, will bring another, and then you have no fruit left. Another pest that that, um, gets on the grapevine is fruit flies. Raise your hand if you hate fruit flies. I hate fruit flies. I didn't know why I hated fruit flies besides that they were annoying, but now I do. Because fruit flies, what they do is they, the larva, which is the little tiny ones, right? They get into previously undamaged fruit. And then they damage the fruit and cause it to become contaminated with microorganisms that contribute to decay. So they get in this fruit that was good fruit. And then they plant this, these, this microorganisms that rot the fruit from the inside out. Mm-hmm. These come, remember, larvae, they're tiny, right? So these come in small things. The Song of Solomon calls them little foxes. We're calling them larvae. Small things. Just a little gossip. Just, just, a little, just a little grudge. Just a little unforgiveness. In otherwise healthy fruit... And then it rots the whole thing from the inside out. I've known people that this has happened to before. They just let, just a, just a little seed of unforgiveness. And it rotted their heart from the inside out. Don't let that be you. Another thing that um, threatens the good fruit that God wants to do in our life is diseases. Like mildew and other fungus on a plant. On a plant will appear on the leaves and spread from one branch to the next, infecting the leaves, 
distorting the branches and stunting the growth of the fruit. The best way to discourage pests and disease is to, in the natural sense, they said plant in a sunny environment with good air circulation and clean up around the vine. After pruning, remove discarded cuttings. Don't let leaves and other plants linger around the base of the vine. In other words, don't let any of those things that the Lord pruned off of you hang around. You see what I'm saying? No bitterness, no toxic relationships, no wishing for things that you had. And the Lord said, that's not for you, you, baby. Don't wish for those things. Causes disease. What does all of this mean? We're trusting we're trusting that he knows what he's doing, right? We, that's what it all comes down to. Do I or do I not trust the Father? In Isaiah chapter 5, this is what the Father says about his vineyard. He says, let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. Let me sing my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed it out out a wine vat in it. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to, to do for my vineyard that I've not already done? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Maybe that's you. Maybe that's me. Maybe we recognize God's hand in our life and he's trying to prune us and shape us to help us to bear fruit. But for whatever reason, we've been resisting. If our prayer team can go to the side, if you have a need in your life, go to them and let them agree with you. Maybe it's a financial need. Maybe it's a physical need. Our prayer team is there to pray for you. They won't tell anybody. But if you are, if that's not you, let's all of us take a moment right now. And let's ask the Lord, Lord, what are you trying to do in my life? What is keeping me from bearing fruit for you? Maybe God's been trying to prune some things off and you've been resisting him. Maybe You have something up against you. Maybe you just keep running up against the same thing over and over and over. And he's trying to encourage you to climb that thing and to believe him for freedom. Maybe you can say, you know what? I haven't been abiding in Christ. I have not been living my life with my eyes focused on Christ and my ears for his voice. And so therefore I can't bear fruit. Maybe you've let some pests or some diseases come into your life. Whatever reason, as they sing this song, I'd like you to step out. And we're going to call this an altar. It's a step. We're going to call this an altar. Why don't we come and we just spend some time asking the Lord to do some pruning and some shaping and some lifting in our lives today. Amen? Let's pray. God, as your people come right now, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will do a mighty work in our lives, Lord. God, I I know that I'm not producing the fruit that I could. 
So, Lord, I pray that as, as the worship team sings, God, I pray that I won't be focused on the words that are on the screen, but, God, that I will be focused on the words that are coming from you as you deal with my heart and what you want to do in my life. Let's pray.